Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Tell Us a Good Story. Today, we have the privilege of talking to former ESPN Sports Center anchor Kenny Main. This episode was one of those moments for us where we were like, wait, are we actually talking to this person right now? As you guys can imagine, Kenny was an absolute blast to talk to. He would tell a story about David Letterman or Dale Earnhardt or Lynn Goodman, who's one of the judges from Dancing with the Stars. Like, we would tell a story, Kevin, about our next door neighbor. Gosh, he also told stories about meeting Stevie Wonder and hanging out with Justin Bieber. But my favorite is actually how he ended up getting hired at ESPN. Oh, I love that one. For anyone who has gone through multiple job interviews or struggled finding a job, you will definitely appreciate this story. Friends, we cannot wait for you to hear this very fun conversation with Kenny Main. I'm Kevin. And I'm Stephanie. And during our marriage, we have dealt with an electrocution, a brain tumor, brain surgery. Then doctors telling us that children were not in our future, followed by miscarriage, and then Kevin's cancer diagnosis. However, today, we live a life completely healed and restored with three healthy children who doctors said were not possible. And we're here to tell stories that inspire, give hope, and brighten your day. Welcome to Tell Us a Good Story. This episode is being presented to you by Luby Companies, a custom home builder here in central Ohio. Let them be your builder for life. They're freaking awesome. Steph, are you ready for this next guest? Oh my gosh. I cannot believe this is happening. I can't believe. I think I might have already scared him. Like, why are you yelling at our guest already? I was already screaming, but I'm so excited. Well, friends, our next guest is a broadcasting legend. He was at ESPN for 27 years and one month. This man is known for his dry wit and sense of humor. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Tell Us a Good Story, Mr. Kenny Maine. Welcome, welcome. Thanks for having me. Where are you guys? Columbus, Ohio. Okay. I think I knew that. I saw Dave Stevens, my friend, recommended me. And we're, we're getting ready. I just got off the phone with him. We're about to go play in another one of those football games at the Super Bowl. We've done it for 10 years or so. It's veterans, mostly disabled veterans, and it gets ex-NFL players, and then a few random extra folks jump in. Snoop Dogg has played before, and it's it's been fun. Okay, so Dave told me to ask you a story about a time you guys were playing flag football, and you were quarterback with Roger Staubach. And he told me to ask you what happened, but he's like, please ask him that story. He's like, you will love this story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Roger Staubach is obviously a pro football legend at college as well. And he was, the game was down in Dallas because we used to play like at the Super Bowl and we played two or three other times during the year. We tried to like quarterly games around the country and certainly COVID hasn't helped out the last couple of years, but we're down in Dallas for this game. Roger Staubach is going to come out and kind of ceremoniously play. Like he he had no intention of playing the whole game or anything, but he's going to come out and play the first series. And what do you know, but he gets picked for a touchdown, like second play of the game, right? It wasn't a horrible pass. I think he got tipped, you know, like it wasn't on him entirely, but um, nonetheless, he's in and he's out. And that was supposed to be it, right? One series. And I was like, stay in. I just told him, stay in. Like that's, you know, that shouldn't be the way you go out. He, he did better. He made some plays as, as the game went on, but he then refused to come out. Like, I'm supposed to be the all-time quarterback for this team. I've been doing it for a number of years. And again, I'm not – Roger Staubach's a far bigger deal than I am. But at this stage in our lives, I'm throwing a little better than him because I'm 15 <laughs> years his junior, right? And But he won't come out of the game. And so he ends up playing the entire first half. I played the second half. It was, you know, it was fun. He stayed around and and cheered us on, so that was great of him. A good teammate, 
and and I could just tell he was kind of like I didn't do what I I used to do when I was I mean all of us feel that way right like who doesn't yeah. want to still be 19 years old throwing the ball 70 yards but he just looked at me and said hey you ever win a Heisman trophy and he gets in his car and, no actually no so you got me there um but no I give him a hard time I would say the same story in front of him good good guy and he was great hanging out with so it, it was a fun night so did you try to go in and he would just like wave you off like nope I'm going back in like no, after that second series it was more as the as the balls turned over to our side after you know they gave it up or whatever after they scored there was kind of that hesitation is he going in or am I going in? yeah so he stayed out there, and he deserved it. He's Roger Staubach. Oh, that's funny. So, yeah, you just stand on the sidelines like the whole first half. I mean, you got to respect the man. That's true. For what he's accomplished. You can't top the, have you won Heisman Trophy? Yeah, Ryan. you can't. I can just see Kitty starting to run like, oh, like, no, nope. you're staying. Okay. Okay, we're good. Okay, I'm back here. Let me know if you <laughs> need anything. Here if you need me. Here if you need, <laughs> need me. Need a towel? Okay, we're good. <laughs> it is. I will say we were just talking about this. It's never quite an organized game. It's more, all right, who showed up? All right, hey, let's talk for about two minutes. All right, have fun. Uh, okay. People are too lazy to come back to the huddle half the time. You just kind of look at them and you hope he knows your body language. Um, that said, though, it's a fun and competitive game. It's not like a total layup. It's People are really trying. And oftentimes the ex-NFL players are thoroughly surprised when they see this guy with one arm making these amazing catches or Jen Welter, the first female to coach in the NFL for Arizona. She's quick you know she sacks one of their quarterbacks every game just sprints in there and dives after his flag so it's always fun so of course steph and i have Huge. been big fans of Huge. espn and sports center and you and dan patrick hands dan were our favorite anchors favorite. okay and mm-hmm. so before we got on here kenny we were watching some of the this is sports center commercials which we love <laughs> that used to do what did you have to do as an anchor to get involved with as many commercials as you did, because like, was there kind of jockeying that went on behind the scenes to be involved? Because those were fantastic. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there was. I, I don't think I pushed myself. I gave them ideas a couple of times, like, what if we did this? What if we did that? But mostly just waited your turn. And a lot of it was just by luck. It was like they're shooting. They knew they wanted this person and this one and this person and that one that might have written it for you. Some of the others... If you happen to be walking down the hall, hey, you want to be in this one? You know, it was. It was <laughs> oh, really? Great. Yeah. So they definitely planned out some that made sense for certain personalities, or they had one that they thought you would do well in. But absolutely, we all wanted to be in them. It was good marketing for yourself. And and now all these years later, it's kind of funny to look back, like, oh, I forgot I was even in that one. Or I, I love it when they when they've done the best of, or they show the top hundred, or whatever it is. There's so many; it's hard to choose which ones were the best. Was it all improv or were you guys scripted? Um, a little of both. It depended on the director who was working that day because some of them were very rigid, like, you know, go back to what was written and just like any commercial. And others were like, no, whatever you got, let's bring it. Let's see what else you can do. So it always kind of depended on the mood. It depended on the time. You know, if they were rushed and they still had two to shoot that day, uh, okay. number three of six or five or whatever, because they do like four or five of those in one day. These guys came in hard. All right, set up. We're shooting this thing. Hour later, we're done. We're moving on. And they, oh, gosh. they had to keep looking at the clock. They had lunch breaks. They had athletes that needed to come in and had a release time. If you got so-and-so showing up, his or her agent is going to say he or she's going to show up and you got to have them out by three o'clock. They got to be in New York for a seven o'clock plane or, you know, whatever the case was, right? 
What was your favorite one? Because ours was the buddy. The big buddy the program. The big buddy program. I'd say big buddies would be the first I'd mentioned prior. That was for those who don't know, Dan Patrick set it up and and the intro was something about how all of us try to give back to the community and right. do the right thing. So it's Stuart, Scott, and I. And I can remember the night vividly because Stuart and I were actually doing a real show that night, at eleven o'clock show. And we shot it at like eight o'clock or eight thirty, like three miles away at a high school. So, you know, we're in the middle of prepping for a show. We had to change clothes, put on shorts or whatever, sweats, get in our cars, go shoot this thing, turn around and come back and get ready for an actual show again. And in the story, Dan sets it up that we're all good community activists and we're going to help yes. out and give back to the kids. And then immediately Stuart and I, our competitive instincts take over and <laughs> we're yelling at the kids for the ball. Stuart checks a kid. He's like four feet tall going yes. to play and then Stuart rejects the shot. When you stole the ball from a kid, too. I think I stole it from my own teammate. <laughs> yes. And at the very end, that was definitely ad-lib saying something about your parents signed the permission slip. Yes. yes. Get up. Kid is injured on the floor, you know. And then it's funny because Peyton Manning did a very similar bit with Saturday Night Live oh, some years later, yes. right? Where That's he's right. out there doing the United Way thing and just <laughs> plugging kids in the head because they can't run routes. That one was, was fun. I loved the Charlie Steiner Follow Me to Freedom, the Y2K bit. Oh, yes. The other ones that I was in that I liked a lot, there was one with me and Dikembe Mutombo, and we're we just lying, we're lying on the grass looking at Yeah, looking at... And pointing out that one looks like George Washington or whatever the hell they were saying. And So are, are you making up those lines, or is that really the language, the language. you had to like memorize that oh, script? They, no, they taught me, yeah, how to speak that yeah for the last line. But again, I'd say... There was always an outline, but sometimes the outline you looked at is like, is that really 30 seconds? Like, oh. like this word, this. So they knew we were going to add more or or we were going to react or there would be a facial, like a nonverbal cutaway that was going to be funny or the mascot running down the hall or whatever the case. I liked an early one I did. It might have been my first one where the premise was that I let it all go to my head and they called it the rookie, I think. And yes. Al Jaffe who's those who don't know he was like the talent gatherer talent coordinator whatever his title was vice president of talent and negotiations i think that's what it was and he's the one who quote unquote discovered me right way back when so he sets it up about sometimes people it just they can't handle it and they kind of get full of themselves and so they show me walking in the building i have these two girls one on each arm i'm wearing a meat coat like you know walt frazier from the old days and demanding my own shows and asking Bob Lee, where's the catered food? And, you know, so. I'm, for, I'm forgetting a hundred others. There were some other, you know, we did, we did a million fun ones. The one where I'm doing all the fake home run calls. Yes. Yes. Yahtzee. Yes. Yahtzee at the end. Yes. The, the funny part about that is there was one of them I didn't like. Like I said, guys, I have like a hundred already that I do. Like we can just use the ones I already do. We don't need to make up ones that I don't do. But they wanted me to read some of theirs. And there was one I didn't like, so okay. I tried to sabotage it. So as, <laughs> as soon as I said the one, I think it was, it's not iffy if it's Griffey. I'm pretty sure that's the one. Okay. And I, and I immediately said, that blows, hoping <laughs> by saying that they'd have to edit it out. Instead, they kept it. They kept both the line and me saying that. So sometimes those things backfire on you. So Steph, we just moved into a new home. You know who's good at homes? I do. Jay Luby. 
and Miss Connie Luby. Yes, they build custom homes. They do remodeling. They do office construction. Steph, if you go to LubyCompanies.com, they have a picture by picture here on the portfolio. And everyone is absolutely amazing. I want every one of them. <laughs> I want that one or that one. Oh, maybe that one. The or only just. problem about LubyCompanies.com, it's hard to spell. Uh, there's no way... I could spell their last name unless you would have told me. I guarantee they get asked every day. How do you spell that? So friends, it's L-U-E-B-B-E companies.com. Go to that website. Phenomenal pictures of what they do. From new construction to like new renovations, the Luby companies are here to partner with you. They are also a proud sponsor of... Tell us a good story. So I want to ask you how you became part of Sports Center because Kevin, when he was doing his research, showed me a letter that you wrote to the head of ESPN Sports Center <laughs> during his interviews, doing your interview process, and it made me love you so much more than I already had. <laughs> Sing that letter. Yes, it was the click box or check the box. So can you tell our listeners about that? Yeah, I'm like the guy who played Arena League, you know, Kurt Warner, and found his way into the league. Like it, it was a long haul, but. I had a TV job in Seattle and a little station called KSPW is an independent station. And when I first started there, my goal was to be on the news. I wanted to be at this point working for PBS frontline or something like I had more serious intentions than sports. Right. And our, our channel only had a Monday through Friday show. We always said, if there's news on the weekends, it's news to us, (laughs) but they added a weekend show. And my boss guy named Jack Eddy says, you played football. You're doing sports. Like there was no debate. It was just, we're assigning you. You must know how to do sports since you played sports, right? And I really didn't want to that much. But very quickly, it was fun. It was like a very small group of people putting together these little half-hour weekend shows. No bosses were around. We're going to Seahawks games and Sonic games and Husky games. Oh, that's fun. So I was like, all right, this is more fun than city council meetings on a Wednesday. Right. Right. I literally fell asleep at a city council meeting one time. Um, (laughs) So my job was then I'm doing news on the weekdays, like, like a field reporter, right? Like I'd covered the green river killer. I covered anything and everything in the Seattle market, you know, whatever was happening that week, a house fire or whatever. And then on the weekends I did the, the sports and about two years into it, the 19, 89 Super Bowl. That was the one where Joe Montana, you guys said you're Ohio, right? Yeah, Cincinnati Bengals, I know. Bengals. Yes. And John Taylor, left to right post. I can see the play. And John Candy was on the sideline, that whole story. Yes. So I had a decent show that night. It was like five minutes. And I sent it to to the wrong guy, actually, but it got to this Al Jaffe guy that I had mentioned earlier. He sends back or calls me, I think it was, and says, hey, we liked your tape. Send us another one. We want to see if that was a fluke. So I grabbed the next show I did, or I grabbed a good one recently or whatever the case, sent them another one. They bring me back for an interview, but I didn't do that great on the interview. I did okay on the tryout. They have you do like a practice show, like a five-minute sportscast in front of them and the pressure of you know doing it back there. But the interviews, I did less well because you know they were grilling you on – you know, what do you think of the Cubs middle relief this year? I don't really know. But instead of doing that, I just started telling stories, like pretending I knew when they knew I didn't know. Like I made the mistake of trying to fake them out. So I ended up quitting that job. Long story, but... The Seattle job. Yes. Okay. And I used to be a garbage man in college. And so I called the garbage man guy, a guy named Steve Caputo, and told him, hey, I just quit my job. Is there any chance I could 
come back and, you know, just once a week, twice a week, just to pay bills while I figure out, you know, what my next job is. And he said, I would, except that we're down to a, the drivers now have the little claw that picks up the garbage. We don't have yes. the guy hanging on the back. I was the guy that hung on the back, the swamper. <laughs> the industry had passed me by, you know, in those intervening years. So he said, all I have for you is to make garbage cans. Oh. So I made garbage cans for about a month. I ran out of garbage cans. I was working so hard trying to impress them that I ran myself out of a job, right? Like, I, like I <laughs> So efficient. Yeah, I put too many lids and wheels on. Then I saw an ad in the paper that day and it said it was a marketing company because I need a I need job. I need to pay my Honda bill and I got insurance and whatever. And it said marketing company, you know, looking for good personalities, something like that. And it said television or radio experience is a plus. And I'm like, they're talking to me. <laughs> So, like this guy. Yeah. They, I call them up. I go for the interview. It turns out it was telemarketing. Oh. And nothing against tele. And there's all sorts of good services being sold that way and people make money. But I was surprised. I thought I was going to be doing some commercial writing or I don't know, something yes. not calling people on the phone asking if they want to purchase prepaid legal insurance. So, yeah, that has nothing to do with TV or radio. Nothing. So now I'm selling prepaid legal insurance. While I'm doing that, Al Jaffe, the talent coordinator at ESPN, calls me again, not knowing I'd quit my job. Actually, I take it back. I called him and informed him of that. I did. And he they weren't really blown away. They're like, you know, people quit jobs. Stay in touch. Tell us what you're up to. So he calls. I tell him I'm working for a marketing company, which I was. And he wants me to come back for another interview. And I'm like, I'm selling prepaid legal insurance, but now I'm going to fly to Connecticut to talk about being on TV again. Sure. I'll, you know. Again, I don't get hired, but not long after the Goodwill Games were being held in Seattle. That was sort of like the Olympics. I don't know if you remember the yes. US and Russia did this together a few times. And I had just gotten a different job. I'm now selling long distance for MCI. So I'm not calling you at your dinner hour, but I'm the guy that you know, have business meetings with company oh. XYZ and compare their long distance bills, the whole deal. Sometimes you'd spend like two hours talking to somebody and you find out they only bill like $12 a month. <laughs> you spend two hours of your life, you're going to get 12% commission on $12, you know, like a yeah, month. I could have made as much as, you know, $1.40 on that two hour meeting. But anyway, they assigned me to do the Goodwill games. And now I feel like I'm kind of in because it was like 10 days of work. But I just kind of kept getting strung along. I did a Gary Payton story and Sean Kemp story and Seahawks stories and Mariners, Ken Griffey. Like I was doing all these assignments in Seattle when they needed me, but there was no certainty to it, right? It was just if they paged me, if they called me. So getting now to your letter, 1994, I get called for yet another interview because they've added ESPN2 at this point. And Keith Olbermann, who was on ESPN2, was going back to ESPN1 Stuart Scott was moving up to be the anchor next to Susie Kolber. Okay. And they needed a person to replace Stuart, who was what's called the smash person. They, they'd come on and do like little two-minute, three-minute, five-minute updates. It was Stuart, Bill Pito, and Deb Kaufman. And they needed a new person because Stuart was moving up. I did well on the interview. In fact, I even told the, the boss who ended up hiring me, Vince Doria, I knew what the rap against me was about, you know, not being a big enough sports nerd. And I said, Vince, I still don't know who the fifth pitcher on the Cubs is, and I really don't care. But if you tell me to do a story on this, it'll be a good story. He's like, that's a good answer. But I That is a good answer. I don't get hired quite yet. Right in that same time period, I send a letter to John Walsh, who was kind of like one of the top executives. And I wrote, please check the appropriate box. I'm trying to determine my future. 
First one said, stand by the mailbox, contracts on the way. Second one said, keep up the freelance work. Third one said, we'll hire you about the time ESPN5 hits the air. <laughs> yes. And they checked the middle box, mailed it back. This is back when the US mail worked. And then about a month later, I get a call from Jaffe saying, we're going to hire you. So oh. I don't know if it was the interview, the letter, the persistence, or just they had nobody else to turn to at that point. Maybe it was just blind luck. But I love the letter. Love I, the letter. I have it here. Dear John, please mark the appropriate box and return as I'm in the process of planning my future. <laughs> right? And then he... <laughs> <laughs> like, let me know so I can go on with life here, John. And then a month later, yeah, is when it happened. It happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a good lesson for anything where you don't accept the no if you believe in yourself and think. Just keep trying to find the person who will say yes. Right. It's just, you know, that's a long time. That's four years of pitching them ideas. They they more often than not, ninety percent of the time, they would call and say, "Hey, Griffey just hit three homers last night." go interview him before the game, get it on a satellite. We want to put it on baseball tonight or whatever the case, right? So I remember Vince, when he hired me saying, you're being hired for the ESPN2 show. Don't have any aspirations of getting the sports center. Oh no. This is what you're being hired for. Like he, he wasn't trying to be a downer. He was just saying, he probably put a little heavy handed more than he wanted to. He was just saying, don't think you just jump over there. Yeah. It's more like, here's where you are. This is the minor league, so to speak work your way up here and we'll see what happens. But what ended up happening is they killed that show called sports night. It was either, are we getting rid of everybody or are we going to just get you and spread you out all over the companies? And that's what they ended up doing. Some people went to ESPN classic, some people NBA tonight. I did RPM tonight. They, they brought me in. They said, do you know much about car racing? And I said, I know nothing. <laughs> and they said, okay, you're the host. And I'm like, well, what do the other people say? Like, <laughs> If I told you I know nothing, how, did they insult you? Like at first, I was like, "This is terrible." I thought I was on this trajectory to be on Sports Center, and I'm covering car racing, and I don't know anything about nothing against car racing, just nothing right. I grew up with. But quickly learned to get into it, and started meeting the figures in the sport and the people I was around: Benny Parsons and Jerry Punch and Ryan McGee. Long list of of good people that kind of taught me about what the hell was going on. All right, Steph, I've got a question for you. What's your favorite book of all time? Uh, obviously, you met her where? Oh, I thought you were going to say the Bible. Oh, oops. <laughs> oh. So what's your second favorite book of all time? You met her where? <laughs> <laughs> a distant second. Totally distant. It's a pretty good book. Sorry, God. It's still a pretty, pretty good was. book. But we're so excited. Where can people get our book? Honey? Okay, I know this. Uh, Amazon.com. Yes. Barnes and Noble. Yes. And? And our website, KevinStuff.com. And, and what happens if they buy it off our website? <gasps> what, what do they get? Uh, an autograph from us. Yes. Who wouldn't want that? So, listeners, if you've already read the book, thank you so much. We've had such good feedback. One thing that helps us, if you can give us a review on Amazon.com, we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much, and thank you for listening. One of my favorite stories was with Dale Earnhardt, where he wins the 500. And I walked on the field on the pit road there, right behind his car, just like with the press pass, you kind of do whatever you want. I had my little Sony home camera and just walked right behind his car. And I don't know if people remember, every team stayed to congratulate him. He'd never oh, won yes. the 500. Most races, every race, actually, the winner stays for the ceremony. Everybody else jumps in and gets out because they want to 
pack up and be the first truck out to head to the next track, right? Their, their, their day's over. Everybody stayed. They wanted to show him how much they cared for him, and they all reached out to him. And I'm right with my own video. I got the shot. He comes in to do interviews with us. He's carrying a bottle of champagne. Okay. And he was still, you know, very good and, and, and competitive, but he was definitely on the decline as far as supremacy. He wasn't like the top guy anymore. Jeff Gordon was the guy on the rise and some others. And he walks in the room and he looks and goes, you still dating Jeff Gordon? <laughs> and I had absolutely no, res- I just turned red. Like I had, you know, no response at ever. He gave a great interview. He was very friendly. I'd never really knew him well. Didn't, you know, he, I bumped into him, maybe interviewed him once, but didn't know him. The next year, he became like our co-host. We had a tradition of whoever won the following year, they'd be the co-host all week long. He did a couple nights, invited me to his boat for dinner. I thought he was punking me, like in front of all these people, like he's going to pull it back. Like, no, he's serious. He gives me his number, had dinner with he and Therese, his wife. And oh, my gosh. They had like a personal chef on their, on their yacht. And we're finishing up. And we sat down after dessert and they're showing me like family photos. We're just talking. They're showing me like, you know, the kids when they're little and all this. And he looks as well. Oh, I got to get going. He, he was going to be late for this appearance at nine o'clock. You know, they do all those hospitality things. So he heads out the door. And I, so I get up thinking it's time to leave too. He said, no, no, stay. And he look at the pictures and I'm kind of like, Oh, Dale, he just told me to stay. Okay. I guess I'll stay. And he, he turns from the door. He says, but don't stay too long. <laughs> So that's that's the last I ever saw him, right? Because he he was in that terrible crash. Yes. Mm-hmm. They called me in to do, you know, help write a story like an obit, you know, after he had died. What I ended up doing is using the footage from the time he won the 500, and that's all we showed the entire story. We didn't show the crash, didn't show any other races, just showed and kind of used the parallel like making something tragic kind of a beautiful moment with this footage of him winning and yeah, it was like oh. a, little, a little miniature tape. So is it true when you were on RPM tonight that when you were leaving, you got a phone call from David Letterman saying, please don't leave? Is that true? I don't recall that. Somebody tell you that? David Letterman was the part owner of Ray Hall Racing. And what I had read was he called you and tried to get you to not leave that show because he enjoyed it so much. Maybe he said that in the middle of his dialogue. I don't know. Okay. I don't have the memory of specifically... Letterman begged me to stay on my show. He was and is a big car guy. He did ask me to do the the introduction when Bobby Rahal was retiring. And I got to interview him in New York after one of his shows, just about his passion for the sport, you know, like a sit down, legit sit down interview. We didn't know if we're going to get 10 minutes, half hour. I think we talked for almost two hours. Oh my. So he was great. It was a great interview. He was funny and showed his love of the sport. And we were all leaving. It took us quite a while to you know stack our equipment together and get it down the elevator and by the time we did he'd probably had a meeting or something about the next day and he happens to pop out at a different door roughly the same time as we're getting out and he yells hey ken you want to go out to dinner and immediately i'm like how am i gonna get home i'm driving with these guys you know i'm processing all this stuff are they invited am i gonna go you guys gonna meet later i'm trying to like do the right thing i take like a couple steps toward him to go talk about it he says, I'm just messing with you. And he gets in his car and he drives away. Oh, no. <laughs> what? That's what he did. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> so for all of our guests, Kenny, I give a list of fun facts to let listeners know some of the things you've done and my wife as well. And I have not informed her of any of these fun facts. You know what? Though? Can What's I interrupt that? fun facts? Please. Most people ask, what's your favorite thing you ever did at your time at ESPN? Okay. And I've listed a bunch of fun, good things, but not the favorite. Oh. Okay. 
So it's another story. If you, I love that. I was always a huge fan of Stevie Wonder, remains so today. So I don't think I've ever had that idol worship of anybody except for Stevie Wonder. And, and idol is not the right word, but just just this high appreciation and and kind of devotion and, and, and belief in his lyrics and everything. So 100 years later, I'm at ESPN and he's in Philadelphia for a concert. The all-star baseball game that year was going to be in Detroit. He's from Saginaw, Michigan. Okay. And I called this guy, Tim Scanlon, who was the head of baseball. Hey, Stevie's playing tomorrow, it was, in Philadelphia. Can I go try to get him to do something? We'll use it in two weeks when we go to the all-star game in Detroit, where he's from. He approved it with absolutely no chance that this was happening. He said, do you have a credential? Do you have a pass? Do you have any plans? No, I'm just going to go try to make it happen. He says, good luck. Go do it. So I get an airplane, I get a cameraman, I get a hotel, I, I go do it. And I had to wait like 15 hours to finally get close to him. I'm outside oh. his trailer at one point. There's a fence, you know, you have to have the right pass to get in, which I didn't have. And they're waving people in, like Will Smith gets waved in, and then Natalie Portman comes in, and, and they look right at me, and they're waving, like, come and have your time with Stevie. And in my head, I'm like, how, they didn't, how do they know who I am? Like, I have no, I have no relationship here. I'm just standing watching the scene. I take a step forward. Don Cheadle walks by me. They were, they were waving to Don Cheadle. So I still don't give up. I run into like a teamster who, this was early in the day, this thing I just described. And some teamster asked me, what are you doing? I tell him the whole story. He had an extra pass. He had a lanyard that I put around. So now I'm backstage. I go from no pass outside the fence incorrectly thinking they're waving to me when it's Don Cheadle. Now I'm next to Sarah McLaughlin talking about something before her set. And there's Stevie spraying his little breath no. spray. As he, I guess that's his thing. He does a little kind of wake up his vocal cords. He goes out, does a set. Still don't have him, right? Because, you know, he's doing a show. But I run into his, I finally get to his people. They say, stand right here. When he's done, he'll walk right through this path. You get to pitch him. If he does it, he does it. If he doesn't, he doesn't. He stops, they bring him to me, and I ended up getting him to say, I can't be at the baseball all-star game. I have a high ankle sprain. <laughs> that was his line. He did it in one take. I thanked him. That's what you want to say. Oh, my goodness. One minute with the guy, and it took hours of prep, hours of standing around, hours of like hustling just to get to that moment to get that one clip. Well, the fact we got him, that was pretty good. Friends, we just want to take a moment here to say thank you to all you loyal listeners. Ah, you guys, we just found out that Tell Us a Good Story is now in the top 1.5% of all podcasts worldwide. And that is because of you guys sharing with your family and friends on social media and giving us positive reviews on all the podcast platforms. And if your friends ask, just tell them they can get our entire catalog of episodes at kevinandsteph.com or wherever they like to get their podcasts. Thank you guys so much for listening to Tell Us a Good Story. Okay, Steph, fun facts about Kenny. Fun facts. All right, because you don't know any of us. Nope. Kenny was a walk-on quarterback at the University of Washington before transferring to a community college. What was the name of this community college? Wenatchee Valley Community <laughs> College. It's where you get your apples. <laughs> Yakima, Washington. Wenatchee, Washington. That's where you get your apples. Wenatchee. Then he went on to UNLV. Uh-huh. Was on scholarship, the quarterback there. Got his degree in broadcasting. Were you the backup quarterback to Randall Cunningham when, when you were there? Vice versa. People obviously get that wrong because they would assume... How could I have ever been ahead of him? That makes no sense. But Randall was a freshman. Okay. 
but I was second string. The guy ahead of me named Sam King, he led the nation passing yards that year, 1980. Oh, okay. Randall was fourth string. He's, you know, he was a new guy. He, you knew he was going to be great. He had a better arm than everybody. Then Kenny went on, signed with the Seattle Seahawks. Well, I didn't know that. Sam, who I just mentioned, had a free agent offer to go there and turned him down. So my coach, Tony Knapp, called them and said, hey, you were offering Sam this deal. The guy who played behind him wasn't that big a separation behind him. So give him a look. And so I flew up there, threw for them. Steve Largent happened to be in the building that day. So I got to, he got to be my receiver, or I got him to be my receiver, I should say. And I ended up signing, but I failed the physical because of the broken ankle, okay. which actually has great relevance today because I ruined yes. my ankle doing that. Years and years and years later, after a bunch of surgeries and all, I got this new device up in Gig Harbor, Washington, that lets me run and play golf and hike and play flag football and do whatever I want with no pain. Without it, I'd be not being able to do very much. It's, the ankle's not in great shape. Gretchen, my wife, and I started a foundation called Run Freely. It's runfreely.org.org. And we raise money and, and get these devices onto the legs of veterans who need them. And I think we've averaged almost one a month since we started three years ago. That's incredible. And you do that because these veterans are in a position where they may have to amputate yeah. their foot. And you are helping give them this device. It's like $10,000 that's not covered by insurance. And it helps them keep their foot. I know it sounds rough, but that's really, that's the stark truth of a lot of times certain medical devices like this, they call it limb salvage, meaning somebody who's in a position where like it's 50-50, should I keep it? Should I lose it? Because they're in such pain. So it doesn't fix anything, but you put it on, you know, you put your leg into it like a very high tech brace. And then you put that into your shoe, got to get bigger shoes, obviously to fit it. And once you do it, it kind of displaces the pressure on the joint. So the device is kind of taking the load that your ankle typically would, and your ankles just kind of belong for the ride. I just ran yesterday. I ran sprints in my driveway, not very fast. But the fact I can run at all, the fact I can jog at all, like is a miracle for me. And for these veterans, I've had so many just beautiful letters where, you know, hey, I, I got to go to the park with my kid today. I couldn't do that yesterday, you know. So one by one, we're making a little bit of progress. And I'm glad that it all worked out the way it worked out, right? Like, I could have been in a situation where I never heard of this guy, right? Or could have done the same with my ankle or fused it or replaced it or whatever. So day to day, I'm not in the kind of pain a lot of these other folks are in, but I definitely can't just throw on golf shoes and go play 18 holes. Like I need okay. this device to, to get me through it. So how did you meet this gentleman that had this device? And then what made you and Gretchen lead to, hey, let's give back let's to start this organization. our community and start this and focus on wounded vets. Yeah, well, what happened about 2011, 12, somewhere in there, I was in Seattle at the time. My ankle was just in bad shape. I just was in, it was not in great shape. So I had to do something about it, I thought. So I went and saw three different doctors in the same week. One was the fusion, you know, where they, they lock the joint. Allegedly that takes away the pain, doesn't always work, but, and it also makes you be very stiff in your okay? The other one was replacement, where they go in just like they do knee replacements and hip replacements. But I'd been warned off ankle replacements by some experts that they're trying, but it's so complex. No one quite knows how to do it the right way and make it last. Because I remember asking them, I said, well, can I you know, do athletic things? And they're like, no, we don't want you to run. And I was like, I can already not run. Why would I do this <laughs> and not run some more? That's stupid, you know. 
And then I saw the amputation guys and they said, go get a better therapist, get a device. We got a guy in California that has this new thing that might help you, you know, by pure chance, my daughter's fifth grade PE teacher was at a YMCA while I was there. My daughters were at swimming and I was in lifting and he saw me kind of, I was limping around the room, grabbing the weights and limping to the next station. And he asked what's going on. He saw my face. He knew that I was Annie's, Annie's dad. And he said, hey, no promises, but go see this guy named Nino Pribic in Kirkland. That's east of Seattle. Okay. He says, not going to hurt you, you know, right? You're going to waste one session if it doesn't work. But if it works, it'll change your life. And it sure enough did. Like some people are just kind of magic with their touch. He's a chiropractor that just kind of knows what to do and how to move. And he brought my ankle back to life, got it looking better. It looked healthier. I went to California, met this guy who made these devices his device was pretty good. I'm not going to knock the guy or his invention, but not quite what I ended up with. About three or four years later, through my sister, who lives near the guy who invented this device, that's kind of the connection, I go down to see him. His name's Ryan Blanc, and Gig Harbor's kind of south and east of Tacoma, Washington. And literally on the first day, I'm on the treadmill running like 15 miles an hour. Oh, I was in tears for almost 90 minutes, you know, trying to tell Gretchen, like, you can't believe this thing. Like, I'm I can do this with no pain day one. And we just both said, maybe at the same time, let's do something good with this gift essentially is what we both came to. And we started the foundation. Katie, do you try to be at that, I don't know, that introduction with the wounded vet when they get that brace for the first time, do you and Gretchen try to be there just to see their reaction and see them walking? Unfortunately, most of it's had to be remote because I haven't been out West as much as I used to be, but Ryan, the guy in charge, owes me a video because I think our latest recipient was in yesterday. Maybe it didn't work out. Maybe the fitting didn't happen yet. But he will usually send me still pictures or videos, and I'll put them on Twitter like another satisfied customer, you know? Mm, I love that. It's sad that they need private citizens and can't get the support from the VA directly because it comes down to oftentimes rejection for, no, we can't can't approve this because it hasn't gone through all the protocols to say that it's legitimate and sanctioned device or whatever, but yet they will approve another surgery that costs more than this device by itself. Well, how sad is that? Like these vets who, you know, laid their lives down for our country, their service, their service. And for them to keep their foot, it's either amputate it. I mean, mental health is going to be an issue then. And then the pain medicine is going to be an issue. There's opioid addiction. Or just give them a $10,000 brace so then they can walk and be happy, get a job, have a better, you know, quality of life, self esteem. And yes, you're right. It's it's very sad. It is. If you look at our, our site, it's very brief, but it kind of tells the story that I've gone over on this show how it happened. Uh, It was the last play of a game. We were at Oregon my junior year. Somebody stuck their helmet on my ankle to end the game. I played the next year, the 81 year. But then every year, every decade, as you get older, it's just the way it is. Anybody who's had any injury, you know, I got both my shoulders feel funny waking up every day because I separated both of them, GAC and at UNLV, and something you just live with. But but some injuries, you can't just shake out, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Kenny had, I believe, 10 surgeries on his ankle. Somewhere in there. Before getting this brace. Wow. So... Last couple fun facts. Okay. You will love this one, of course. So, Kenny was on the second season of Dancing with the Stars. <gasps> oh, I totally watched you. <laughs> totally watched you. I What's it called? Dance? Oh, you had a show after. It was like Dance yes. Center with Jerry Rice and Lynn. 
Oh my gosh, it cracked me up. Well, my dancer, she tried to get a little too ambitious with me. I told her going in, hey, my ankle wasn't as bad. So I was like, why don't we do something super simple? I'll look good. They'll think I did well. She's like, no, let's do something really hard and ambitious. Oh, super technical. Instead, I'm like running, you know, like trying to catch up. <laughs> I did my best. There was one move I threw away on purpose, like as a joke, and it backfired. I did it to be funny. Like I'm throwing that move away. I remember. I saw that. They took it as he doesn't care. He's out there screwing around. He oh. like no, I tried as you know best I could. So I got thrown off quickly that season. However, Jerry Rice and Lynn Goodman and I ended up for I don't know seven or eight years. Every season we'd come back and do like a fake sports cast about the remaining dancers. We'd wait till there were, I don't know, three or four remaining and kind of do it like, you know, here come the playoffs, you know. Like you were joking around, Lynn's like, no. And he's trying to be he's all perfect. Serious. It was <laughs> so funny. I loved it. So then Kenny had a segment on ESPN Sunday NFL Countdown. It was a show called The Main Event where he would interview celebrities and players and stuff. He would interview Justin Timberlake. Yeah. We did do one with Tom Brady and Justin Bieber. That was something. Really? Okay. The The premise was, I don't know if you remember this, but there, Brady, for a short time, had really long hair for like maybe a year, oh, yes. season or two seasons, like, you know, hair to his shoulders. And we pretended that Bieber was mad that Brady was stealing his look. So we ended up flying to, I think Bieber had a concert in San Jose. And I got a hold of his guy, Scooter Braun, and those people and told him the bit. And he's like, yeah, he'll do it. So flew to San Jose, messed around with Justin for like a half hour, got a couple good lines. Okay. Went back to New England, got Brady. I mean, we did. <sighs> there were so many fun ones. Like, I, I'd be hard-pressed to name my favorite of all those. We, we did one every year for about eight or ten years. We took a guy who works at ESPN. He still works there. He's an audio guy named Max Kim. Okay. We pretended the Seahawks had signed him as their <laughs> secret weapon. He's straight out of South Korea, and he was going to be like all 22 positions. <laughs> yeah. And each year, we would have a new story about him and that relationship. We got John Legend to sing a song <laughs> about that player and Mike Holmgren's relationship. Really? We, had, we did another one called the Peyton Manning Dance, where we had John Legend again on piano. My niece, Kirsten, who's a great singer, she kind of wrote the bass of it. We had Snoop Dogg rapping and a gospel choir, and we mixed <laughs> all that together. It's called. You, it's on the internet. You look up the Peyton Manning dance. Kitty, are you ever like, this is my life? It's almost like if you can dream it, like they're like, okay, sure, Kitty, go ahead and do that. Yeah, no, there's a whole bunch of times where you like, I didn't imagine this would happen, or I'd fall. Stevie Wonder is the best example, and it's the old, you know, the expression about you don't want to meet your hero. In this case. I wasn't disappointed. You know, it worked out for me. Well, Kenny, we haven't been disappointed meeting you here. No, I can guarantee that. Thank you. Listeners, for more information about Kenny, you can go to his Twitter page at Kenny underscore Maine. Also, his foundation, like you said, is runfreely.org. And candidates can go there as well and submit their story to possibly qualify for one of those braces. And we will put all this in the show notes. So, Kenny... Thank you so very much. No Thanks, Kitty. Happy New Year. Thank you. 
friends, we want to encourage you to please follow us wherever you listen to this, whether it's on the Apple Podcast app, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or one of the other platforms. You guys, it's completely free. And while you're there, feel free to give us a rating or a nice review. Thank you for listening to Tells a Good Story.